Today, Pastor David will begin to look at Psalm 4 and pulls no punches, teaching us the truth about God and His glory. Fasten your seatbelts, and here's Pastor David. We've been working through the Psalms for a number of weeks now. We've studied the first three, and today we're about to begin working through the fourth Psalm. Uh, I say begin working through. We're not going to get through the whole thing, um, or I have no plans to get through the whole thing this morning. Uh, but these are psalms. These are songs to God. Remember that as we study them, this particular psalm says it was sung with stringed instruments. And this is a song that's sung, and there's a certain emotional experience that we express when we sing. And so that sort of sets the Psalms apart from some other areas of Scripture where it's history or it's prophecy or those kinds of things, law and things like that. These are songs to be sung. So when we study the Psalms, we're declaring things about God and who he is, not just as, as just text on a page, but as something that we would sing and feel in our hearts, body, soul, spirit, just crying out to the Lord in a different way than some of the other Scriptures. And so always as we study the Psalms, Keep in your mind and heart the feeling, the emotion, the joy that we express as we study these words. Keep that in mind. We're going to read our first, uh, we're going to read the passage that we're going to study today. It's in Psalm 4. So if you have a Bible, great. If not, it'll be on the screen or you can pull it up on your device or whatever. It says this, Psalm 4, starting in verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Psalm 4.1, the first part. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. The singer here, King David, asks God to hear him when he calls. Wants him to hear him when he calls. And he proclaims that God is the God of his righteousness. And what does that mean? David knows he is not righteous. He knows he's not righteous. He knows he's a sinner. If you want to get a feel for how broken and contrite his heart and spirit were after some of the horrific sins that David committed, you can read Psalm 51 and see what it looks like to confess and repent and be broken. He knew he was not righteous as he had no righteousness in himself, that if he had righteousness, it is from God, not from himself. He knows that. We are not holy. We are not righteous. God is. Any righteousness that we have is his. Listen to Romans 3, 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation or an atonement or a price that was paid by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is not King David's righteousness that makes him righteous. But he does sing, O God of my righteousness, because David does know that his righteousness is God's righteousness. Not his own, but God's righteousness. 
Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. We are servants of the Lord and our righteousness is from God, from him. It was paid for by the death and proven by the resurrection three days later of Jesus Christ. That's where we sit and our response to that Our response to that is to be humble. I know that's not popular. Be humble. Be humble. Be amazed at the blessing of God to give us his righteousness when we had none in ourselves. We call out to God in humility and in amazement and in praise and ask him to hear us because Jesus is our God and King. And he has given us his righteousness. It's an amazing thing. We got to live in that. Next part of the verse. You have relieved me in my distress. We've been stressed. Distressed. Restressed. Stressed again. We've all been through difficult times in the fallen world. I don't think there's anybody in this room who's like, nope. It's been all roses and sunshine. I seriously doubt that's been your experience. We've been distressed. You will be distressed again if you live more than a few more minutes. You may be distressed right now. Rest in Christ. Because whatever it may be, whether we're stressed trying to literally struggle and think about how we're going to survive, whether that's physically or emotionally or financially or in our marriage or in other relationships or in our jobs or whatever it is, ah, we experience it. Distress, whatever that distress is, whatever relief we need, God has given it to us. If you're sitting here or listening today, you have been distressed in your life and you are and have been relieved of that distress. It has certainly happened. God is a reliever of our distress. I have been relieved of my distresses in so many ways. The day I found myself on the floor of my apartment, crying out to God. I was crying out to him because he had shown me my sin. He had shown me the truth of my wicked heart and the judgment that I deserved. I knew it. Nothing had ever, ever distressed me like seeing the truth about who I was and who I had become. And I cried out to him and he heard me. And he relieved my distress and he saved me wonderfully in his glory. The chief of sinners saved by Jesus Christ. That is relief, brothers and sisters. No relief will ever match that relief. And I will love him and serve him forever because he loved me and loves me so much. So we sing. We sing the Psalms in our hearts And to our God and our King, as David did, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. There's so much meaning in that. You have relieved me in my distress. For any of you who have lived very long, he's done this for you. And you know that experience. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. We have to have the humility to realize that his mercy is all grace. If you were here last week or you listened online, Pastor Dave talked about grace, unmerited favor, that which you're given as a gift that's free that you do not deserve. All of his mercy is that way. 
He hears our prayers not because we deserve it, but because he is merciful. We can come boldly to the throne of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, creator of the universe, but only by his mercy and grace. Not because we are entitled to his help. Sometimes young people seem like they think they're entitled to a lot of things. I'm not talking about this current generation. I don't know if they're like that. I do, but I'm not going to say anything because they get really mad. But when I was a kid, (laughs) when I was young, I felt entitled to an awful lot of things. Let me tell you something really clearly. None of us are entitled to God's mercy and grace. It is a free gift. It is a free gift to broken, wicked people. It's not an entitlement. He hears us and he relieves our distress because he loves us, because he is merciful, because he has grace for us, even though we don't deserve it. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It doesn't sound like we get to come boldly because we deserve it, does it? No, we come boldly because he loves us and has given us grace. This is what our prayer should be like. We come to our God, the King of Kings, in humble excitement. When we pray, we should be joyful. The King of Kings listens to you and hears you. It relieves you in your distress. What an amazing and awesome experience. How often are we making that part of our prayer life? God, I get to pray to you. Only by your mercy. Who am I that you should care about me? And yet you do. And you say, come boldly as a son or as a daughter and talk to me. And he has the mercy and grace to listen to us. Why aren't we praying more often? What an experience. But sometimes I don't. I forget all about it. And leave myself till things are going way down the line before I go, wait a second. I'm a child of God. I can come by mercy and grace boldly before the throne and ask him to relieve me from this distress. Why is that not the first thing I'm doing? What a joy. The most important prayer, the most important relief from distress we will ever receive is the joy that those of us who follow him have already received. We have his righteousness, not our own. Through grace, he hears our prayers by mercy and relieves us from our distress because in following him, he has relieved us from death and given us the gracious gift of life. Because by following him, we have been relieved from judgment and given the gracious gift of adoption as daughters and sons. So smile. In your heart and have joy because God hears us. What an amazing thing. Regardless of what the world or 2020 or whatever throws at us, we have his righteousness, his grace, his love. God hears us. He'll relieve us from our distress. He has mercy on us. Maybe we should be a little happier, a little more joyful in our lives. Next verse, Psalm 4-2, to the beginning of it. How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? Maybe you're wondering if David is asking about his own glory or God's glory. If you studied Psalm 3 with us, you know there's only one glory to David, and that is God's glory. Psalm 3-3 that we studied some weeks back. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory 
and the one who lifts up my head. Who? You. God's glory. David doesn't have his own glory. God's glory. God is glorious. He's our shield. He is glorious. He's the one who lifts up our heads. We actually can't turn God's actual glory into shame. We can do nothing to diminish the glory of God, who is glorious far above all things. That's not possible. His glory cannot be diminished. He is not saying, glorify me to his children, because if we didn't do it, oh my goodness, he wouldn't have any glory. That's not what he's saying. He's not concerned about that. We glorify him as a reasonable response to his glory, not because it's diminished if we don't do it. We can't turn God's glory into shame. We can do nothing to diminish the glory of God by one iota. C.S. Lewis writes this, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. It's from the problem of pain. C.S. Lewis. No one can diminish God's glory one iota. It cannot be done. But we can choose not to glorify God with our lives. We can choose to live lives that do not glorify God. Listen, the world despises God. They despise God. They despise his laws. They refuse to obey him. They ridicule the God. They ridicule God, the Holy One of Israel, the King of Kings, the creator and sustainer of the world. They ridicule him. They will not glorify him as they ought to even though glorifying him is the only reasonable response to him. The only reasonable thing that we can do when we know who God is, is to glorify him, but they refuse to do it. He is our glorious and all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God who has shown us perfect love. Romans 5 eight. but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, we were still not glorifying him. Well, we were still rebelling against him. He died for us, became a man and died for us. That's love. And people know this. And they still despise God through their actions, which show their hearts. That they do not glorify him. Because they don't want to. This is a tough passage we're going to read right now. Romans 1, 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Sometimes we wonder, well, how are people going to be held responsible? Because not everybody knows who God... God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. What is invisible is clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. That means they know and they chose. Because although they knew God, knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So what happened? They push it away. They don't want God. They know him, but they push him away. So what does he do? Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. 
in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They traded in the truth of God so they could have a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Serve themselves. They serve themselves. The creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burdened their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty for their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They knew something, and they're literally trying to not keep it. Get this out of my brain. I don't want to be responsible for this. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's the world. That's the world. The wrath of God is coming because the world does not glorify God. The reasonable response to him, to his glory, is to glorify him. But instead, they seek to serve themselves, to push God out of their consciousness and exchange him for a lie. And they get into all manner of sin and unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Let me tell you something. Such were all of us. Such were all of us, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Such was me, every one of these things. My heart was as dark as anything you see in any of these lists. Such was me, and I was washed, I was sanctified, I was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. That's good news. What a powerful lesson. And you know, the same thing can happen to you. No matter what you've done or how bad your past or present, there's forgiveness, peace, hope, and eternal life for you too as you simply come to Jesus. And if we can help, call us at 360-885-9000. Everything can change. 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out part two next time here on Contemplate.